You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Chris Hood. Chris is the founder of CH Digital, an author, a digital strategist, and for anybody who might have heard of this little company before, until very recently, he was the head of business innovation and strategy at Google. Chris, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. Happy to be here. Now, before we dive into all things Google and otherwise, what is a fun fact about you? Ooh, a fun fact. I've got my start at a local movie theater. One of my first jobs was selling popcorn. What was interesting was selling popcorn turned into a public speaking job actually at the theater. No way. And so as at 17 years old, I was walking up in front of movie theaters, sold out crowds of 500 people and inviting them to enjoy the movie, sharing trivia questions with them. So yeah, I got my start selling popcorn and speaking to audiences. That's amazing. And it's funny, my first thought went to, boy, if you're selling popcorn, I hope you got commission because that's where the money is to be made in a movie theater. Oh <laughs> my gosh, the amount of money that they make on bags of popcorn today. I mean, back then it was crazy. Today, it's astronomical. For like eight cents worth of corn kernels and a bunch of oil and salt thrown in just for fun. Like the bag probably costs more than the popcorn at that point. They send bags, 50 pound bags of kernels, which they buy for roughly, we'll say $20. Even if we say $50 for a 50 pound bag. Yeah. Well, they're making all of that money up with one scoop of corn from that bag. Oh, you know what? It's one thing to assume that that's what's happening. It's another to actually hear it validated by somebody who's in the industry. It just is like a little knife to the heart. All right, I am really being gouged that badly. And the ticket prices are still expensive. Oh my goodness. So we're going to give you, so there's one tip for everybody, a little insider preview. And we got lots more that are going to be hopefully a little more positive and not make us feel like we're being gouged at the movie theaters, but lots of great stuff to help us be more successful in business today. So Chris, with that, give us your 30 second elevator pitch. Tell us about CH Digital. Yeah, sure. Again, glad to be here. My name is Chris Hood. I'm a digital strategist. I have a little company called CH Digital. I give you $100 if you understand what CH means. And <laughs> we are a innovation agency. So what we do is spend a lot of time working with small, medium, even enterprise businesses, unlocking the value of customers and how to think about a customer-centric culture within your organization, marketing, strategy, technology, and how to leverage all of that to reach customers in their ever-evolving and changing needs. So anybody out there who's got a small business, if you need to figure out how to find your clients' changing needs and how to articulate your services in a way that meet them, now you know who to call. Now, I am curious, and I think what everybody else is most likely really curious to find out is going from a massive mega corporation like Google and then jumping ship completely, starting your own company, which I'm guessing is just a little bit smaller than, regardless of how many zeros there are at the end of that, it's got to be a little bit smaller, just 
because there aren't any people left on the planet at that point to be able to join a program like this. So there had to be some pretty major cultural differences, but also communication differences with leading a team at a place like Google versus a smaller enterprise like CH Digital. Tell us about some of the biggest differences you've encountered. There's a really interesting thing that we could take away from this. The beauty of Google was that the communication was fairly open. Yeah, Google has its challenges, a lot of challenges probably behind the scenes. But the one thing that I could solely and purely appreciate was the understanding that we were all there to serve a purpose. We all had our roles, our jobs, and the communication became part of just a really elegant way to drive daily operations. Team meetings were structured in a way that they were precise. I mean, how many people out there go into meetings, people come in late, they go five minutes over. Like we really never had those issues at wow. Google. And, and part of that is because the culture was defined to support each other, to value each other's time, to bring everyone to the table in terms of what they have to offer and what they want to contribute. Oftentimes, everyone would go around and do you have anything to add? Do you have an idea? Do you have a suggestion? This psychological safety of team meetings was the biggest takeaway that I had while at Google. Now, the beauty of this is, is that you can apply the exact same principles into every single business in the entire world. And yet, for some reason, we don't. Hmm, why do you think that is? Well, I think a lot of times we do get corporate politics involved. We get a positioning for other types of roles. We get insecurities. We get mistrust. All of those elements that degrade our cultures within the organization also impact how we communicate with each other. I remember having a job back in 1997, I would say. And during that time, the way we communicated was awful. And this was not at Google or this was at Google? This was not at Google. Not, okay. Uh, yeah, I won't mention the company. Sure. And luckily, it's not on my LinkedIn profile, so you can't go look for 97. Right. But we were always cautious of what we said. We always had to gauge how we said it. Mm. We always had to know who was in the room because we couldn't say this because if that person heard it, they would misconstrue it to somebody else in this way. You all know what I'm talking about. Sure. This is the type of communication that is happening in corporate businesses all over the world. And yet you have the power to not do it. And so when I left Google, the first thing I said was, we have to have the same style of communication, the same openness, the same respect, the same safety, and be able to allow everyone to contribute into the dialogue. So what we saw in the previous job from 1997, we saw a great example of what not to do. And I think it was Einstein who said the only rational way to educate is to be an example of what not to do if one can't be the other sort. So that was a perfect example of the what not to do in the previous job. And then in great contrast, seeing the psychological safety that was established, not just within an individual team or department, but really organization wide, that when you say we have to take this with us, you meant the people who are with you that either you took with you from Google or that you've created and found on your own, but meaning with the team at CH Digital had to borrow that piece from Google directly saying, this is too good to screw up. We need to learn from someone who's done it right. 
Yeah, I would say that it's not just even my own business or the businesses that I have built since being at Google or, or even in, in the past. I take that same philosophy to the businesses I'm consulting with now. Mm -hmm. So if I sit down with an organization, one of the first things I want to find out is why is, let's say, a digital strategy or why is an idea not progressing through your organization? Most of the time, I can bring that back to how a team is communicating with each other. If you can't solve that in your own business, you're never going to be able to advance your ideas and your strategies to meet your consumers' needs. Yes. And how often do you find that that's the case, that you bring an idea to someone or they claim that they've got an idea, meaning a client, and it doesn't go anywhere and you identify that what proportion of clients have a chokehold because of the communication that sort of kills ideas and opportunities in the middle of the street? Yeah, I referenced a job in 1997. The reality is, is most of the jobs that I've had in my entire career had poor cultures that prevented things from moving. And I would probably guesstimate here a bold number. I would say 95% of the companies in America have poor communication that is blocking how they are able to deliver to their consumers. And so it's a big number. I'll give you an example. I was working with a retail company just a couple of years ago. I went in and spent a couple of weeks with them trying to strategize on a new project. Six months later, I went back to that same company. They had not done anything in the mm. six months that I had been with them. And when I asked why, they said, well, there's too much politics and we haven't been able to get the teams on the same page. Hmm. Doesn't that just break your heart? You're going, you hired me, you brought me in, you invested time, you invested money. We're handing you a path into the light. And you're going, I think we're going to sit here in the dark and talk about the light for a little bit longer. Doesn't it just make you want to pull your hair out? Oh, all the time. But that's the beauty of consulting yes. is I can go in and I can tell you what you need to hear. What you do with that, that's on you. It's your business. It's your culture. It's your team's. If you don't want to do it, you're going to continue to do exactly what you're doing. I would imagine that people in the medical field feel the same thing. You know, someone comes in with an ache or a pain or a problem and say, here, just follow this, take this medicine, do this physical therapy, do this. And they go, yeah, that's a lot of, no, kind of, that's, I don't enjoy that. Going so I don't think I'm going to comply, but I'll be back to tell you when I need a new prescription refill or, or something along those lines. You go, oh my gosh, how frustrating! So say, you know, I tell my clients all the time when they, you know, there are certain things that I, I can fix that not fix, but you know that I can help with just a bit of information. But at some point, you do have to do the work. You know, I'll hold up my pen and say it's a pen, not a wand. I can only do so much magic with it. And I confess that I actually stole and modified that line from a friend of mine who's a hairdresser who would joke about people who would come into the salon with a photo of someone who's got, of course, this whatever head of hair and be like, can you make me look like this? And she'd just be like, no, honey, it's a comb, not a wand. You know, I don't know if she would say that or just think it, but I thought that was a really good line one way or another. At some point, we got to do the work and there's only so much magic that you or I as the hired hand or anybody else as the service provider can do. Now, talk to me a little bit about why you decided to jump? Because it seems like the culture was good. I'm sure the compensation was good. Google's an amazing company. They're cutting edge. I'm going to voice the question that I'm betting at least half of the people out there are thinking to themselves right now, why on earth would you jump ship if the ship's not going down and they're full steam ahead and doing whatever else, full safety nets, full everything else? Why? Why jump ship? 
and hang out in your own little dinghy? Look, I think that there's a lot of reasons that people make decisions that are unique to themselves. We are all confronted with disruption on a regular basis. That disruption can come in a form of a sudden medical emergency. I was talking with somebody the other day and they missed the meeting and they said, sorry, I was in a car accident. You know, I think industries are changing. We look at the pandemic. The pandemic was a complete and total disruption to the way we communicate and how we connect with people. That's for sure. I think businesses and industries all change. And in that evolution, we all have to make our own choices in terms of why we want to do something or is the business that I am currently working with still aligning with my own personal goals and satisfaction? It's cliche. But we always say, do what you love, do what you're passionate about. And, yes. and I had a lot of things that I wanted to do. And I think we also get rather complacent when we're in jobs, working nine to five, coming up and doing our thing. And yet we never really think about the what ifs. What if I lose my job? What if I get disrupted? Then what? Too often we are faced with the now what? And I had so many now what's that I just wanted to go and tackle. One of those being my book. I just wrote a book called Customer Transformation. Congratulations, by the way. That's a huge accomplishment. I know what it takes to put one of those out and it's not just something you knock out in a weekend for sure. Thank you. But but I, I had the idea for this book six years ago. Mm. Now, why did I not invest the time, take the energy and do it. Well, I got complaints that I was, I'm in a job, I'm working nine to five, I'm getting a salary. I enjoy my job. Like all of those things are distracting us from reaching our potentials and doing the things that we want to do. And then what happens if we get disrupted? Uh, you know, if I would have wrote this book six years ago, I would have had it to say fall back on. Now I'm like, well, it's something new. It's exciting. And yeah, it is. But I think we have to continuously think about those moments of disruption and be able to not just adapt to them, but have something that we know we are passionate about and that we can fall back on and then pursue as that next step. Which is great that you were finally able to come to the place where you're saying, you know, how much longer am I going to put this off? How much longer before I finally do something that I really want to do? And, and you made that decision, pulled the trigger and jumped. And I would be willing to bet that more than half of our listeners are at some stage on that continuum going, starting to have ideas, starting to look at the number of things that they're saying, and, well, what if, or but gee, I wish, or could I really open a business for myself? Should I write a book? Should I try this? Should I? And it's lots of wonderings, but eventually the woulda, coulda, shouldas will pave the way to the end at that point. So at what point do we make the decision to really do something? So kudos to you for having the courage to say, you know what? I'm going to take the plunge, take the risk and just give it a shot. Cause I'm sure there, that was for as much as it was exciting. Was it scary? I think change is scary for anyone. It doesn't matter what the change is. A new relationship is scary. It's how we approach that and what we have around us to support that, I think is the critical part. Yes. Yes. Now, what about the people who are working for you? How is it different in communicating where in Google, 
there were very set communication structures. There was the understanding of what to say, what not to say, meetings start and stop at certain times. Going from that, where everyone spoke the same language, to creating your own team, what did it take to build that? Well, again, not much because I just replicated what we were doing at Google. And the beauty is, is that a lot of the people that are helping and supporting me are independent contractors who came from Google. Okay. So they're already familiar with that philosophy. But again, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This is about putting into your culture a foundation for how you want communication to happen. And if you just say, well, you know, just respect each other, I don't think that's enough. We have rules and policies in every organization. Well, create a rule or a policy that says meetings will start on time and end five minutes early. Just do it. It doesn't mm. have to be complicated here. And yet, again, if I go back, I've been a part of several startups. And some of those startups were fabulous and the communication was awesome. And it was great to get a lot of people who were passionate about the same thing. That's the beauty of a startup. But even then, you get very relaxed. You get very like, oh, hey, let's have a meeting. Yeah, you know, fireside chat or something, you know, a water cooler. And then what happens? Your business starts to grow. You bring in more people. That structure doesn't maintain itself. And then it eventually breaks down. And then yeah. you start into that toxic experiences that we all faced with. That's the part that you have to continuously focus on. So all I'm doing is saying, it worked over here. I'm going to apply it in this place and continue to make sure that it happens. I think a lot of people are good at making a rule on paper or in theory. Sure, we're going to start meetings on time and end them five minutes early. Sounds great. On paper, it's beautiful. You can make a nice pretty picture with a picture of an eagle or a mountaintop or an ocean wave, put it on the wall, inspirational photo. But like, what actually happens is a little bit different. So any tips for taking those brilliant inspired ideas for new rules to create structured culture and actually execute them when there may be resistance from others? Yeah. I mean, anytime you're building a structured culture, it's to lead by example. So all of my meetings end five minutes early and I reiterate, I hope all of your meetings are ending five minutes early, right? So you lead by example and you continuously show and demonstrate that that is what you expect and you continually drive the message within the organization, right? You reward that behavior. You know, we typically think rewards is like, oh, thanks for closing a deal. <laughs> you know, right. no, you reward people for the things that, look, this is a basic philosophical principle, right? Like reward people for the actions you want them to replicate. Yes. You ended the meeting five minutes early. Congratulations. Here's lunch on us for today. You know, mm. like that kind of recognition that continuously solidifies what the culture is that you're trying to build needs to, again, be maintained. Not just the first week of your business, not just the first year, not the first five years, Continuous. Sounds like there needs to be expectation of not persistent rewards for every behavior demonstrated, but just enough here and there to let people know we are paying attention. And we did notice in 
while you do this on a regular basis, today we want to give you a little something as a thank you for it and let people know, perhaps or not, depending on if it's a value to teach the rest of them versus just to let the person know that their behavior and support has been recognized and is appreciated. It hasn't gone unnoticed. Yeah. And then you can get into peer rewards, like Mm. actually allowing the peers to recognize and reward their peers with something that matches the culture that you're building. It doesn't always have to be executive to employee. The peer-to-peer recognition is just as powerful, if not more powerful, because it continues to establish what that culture needs to be. And what's a kind of a peer reward of sorts that somebody might consider? What might that look like? I can share what Google does. Again, what I typically hear is, well, that's Google. They can do that. But I would argue, again, that these are things that you can implement in your own business right now today. So Google had three tiers of peer recognition. One was simply a kudos. This is nothing more than a thank you. Like, oh, Laura did something really interesting. Kudos to Laura. Thank you for doing that. Now, you're not getting anything from that other than that recognition. You can use that in your performance review and show like, look, I got 10 kudos over the course of the last quarter, right? So that's just one simple identifier. The next one is actually a peer bonus. This is a monetary reward. So you've done something really incredible, like you helped organize an event that you weren't asked to organize, or you came with a new strategy that really helped us improve our processes. Something really different and unique and beneficial to the team. Those peer rewards could be valued at anywhere from $50 up to $500. I know some organizations that are doing this with like, we have a little store and in the store we have like gift cards and you can redeem the points for the gift cards. So, hey, we've got like a Chipotle gift card for $10 and you could go use your points and get that. So it's some sort of monetary. And then the next level is actually a peer bonus or an executive level recognition, which is again, you've done something a little beyond the norms something that's outside of your typical realm, but the recognition warrants an additional bonus. And those are usually valued at anywhere from like $1,000 up to $5,000. Now, again, that's Google. You know, if they're going to give you a bonus of $5,000 for something you've done above and beyond, that's awesome. But the principles here are what you have to understand. Yes, It's that you are being recognized for going above and beyond in your duties And you are being rewarded for that. You know, again, if we go bring this back to the culture, you're being rewarded for instilling the culture and maintaining that what we are expecting. Yes. So whether it's $50 or $5, if there aren't a couple of extra Starbucks cards in the kitty or Amazon gift cards or something, you can bring it up to the boss or to whoever it is, department chair, and say, this person did X. I think they should be acknowledged. Can we do this? Is there, uh, you know, funny money? in the kitty to provide some sort of acknowledgement. And of course, different people like to be acknowledged in different ways. Some people want the public recognition. Some people just want it silently, you know, slid under the door of sorts, uh, no fanfare. But that in and of itself, I think, is an acknowledgement when you thank them in the way that they want to be acknowledged. But just to let them know, I see you. 
and I appreciate what you're doing. So uh, terrific examples here. Now, this brings us, Chris, to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So we just threw all sorts of ideas at the audience about ways that they can start to think about the culture and establishing that psychological safety, that culture of appreciation in an organization. But this is a chance to talk directly to them and challenge the audience to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Oh boy, I love it. Let's see. Here's how I want to challenge your listeners. A lot of people out there, I'm sure, are going through what we've just talked about, thinking about what's next for them. They may want to establish their own personal brand or maybe even establish themselves as a thought leader in their space. So one of the best ways that you can do this is practice. And how can you practice? My challenge is that in the next 24 hours, you need to conduct a mock podcast interview. Mm. So what does that mean? That means find a friend, find a family member, a partner, grab them, get a list of, let's say, five or 10 questions, and then set up a recording device. That could be maybe your phone. No one has to see this. Like, don't worry. This is only for you to practice. Set up that recording device. Have your friend ask the questions. You are not going to be prepared for these questions, and you're going to have to answer those questions on the fly. That helps you get more familiar with the materials that you want to be an expert in, and it gives you a chance to ad-lib in terms of how you're going to respond and communicate to a fictional audience. And if, if you need help writing these questions, leverage chat GPT, leverage AI. Mm. You can use a prompt. You can go in right now and you can say, supply me 10 podcast questions to be interviewed on the subject of, and then fill in the blank with whatever your expertise is. Mm. Get those 10 questions. Again, you should not be looking at the questions ahead of time. Let your friend, your partner, ask them to you, set up the recording device and record your own podcast. Now, you know, everybody out there, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. I'm betting that there are at least a handful of people out there who are trembling in their shoes at the idea of an interview where it's recorded and I don't get to prepare and memorize my answers and script them out and try to pretend that I'm not reading from my script in the process. That just strikes fear in the hearts of many. So, Chris, share with everybody out there who's having a hard time swallowing. What is the value that they're going to get from this? Why should they do this? And again, you're preaching to the choir. So I just like having somebody else say it instead of me all the time. What is the value of doing a mock podcast interview in this matter? The value is that you are going to be able to learn how to think on your feet, practice your storytelling, and just overall mind I'm asked often, why do you do podcasting? And I give the obvious one, well, it's great marketing, SEO. I get on a podcast, people talk about me, that's awesome. But the other one is it's practice. Every single podcast I'm on, it's practicing the message. It's refining what I'm talking about. It's ensuring that what I'm thinking in my head is coming out in a way that resonates with people, that makes sense. And then being able to adjust Everything we do in life is about practice and improvement. And if you can't do that, even in communication, then you're missing a huge opportunity. And I will say really quickly, we can make the value a little bit more interesting if you would like. I would say, if you are willing to actually record these, send them to us. If you are willing, send them to us. 
and we will listen to them. And maybe we can give some type of reward. I'll sign a couple of copies of my book and give them out for free or give you some Chipotle or something like just for the effort. I think it's worth it. I love it. Okay. So at the end, stick around. We'll tell you how to get in touch with Chris, of course, through a variety of means. And if you want to take him up on his 24-hour influence challenge and send him a short video, not a 30-minute video, maybe just the answer to one of the questions that got answered. I'm sure he's only got so many hours in the day as well, but that could be fun. I'd be really curious to see how many people decide to throw their hat in this ring. So with that, Mock podcast interview, not job interview. That's different. Mock podcast interview. Think about what show you'd want to be on or what kind of show you'd want to be on, even one of these for that matter, and work on developing your reputation as a thought leader in your space. I love it. What fun. All right. So, Chris, tell me about the interview process. When you're hiring somebody or promoting, especially in a larger organization in particular, I mean, you must have interviewed, I can't even imagine how many people over the years. So has there ever been a time when you interviewed someone and thought, wow, this person really has that it factor? What was it like and how did you recognize it? Yeah, I've interviewed thousands of people over the years, going all the way back to the movie theater. When I worked at the movie theater, I gradually moved up to assistant manager and manager and during the summer months, we were hiring hundreds of students and first-time jobs to get them in place. Sure. I think at some point in time, you recognize what your organization needs and you can make that match. Sometimes I think we can go through a series of questions and we go through the process and we're like, you know, check off, check off. Yeah, they meet that. They meet that. We may feel it, but we just believe like, okay, they're a good fit. The other times, really, it's just an instinctual feeling. It's a, I know this role so well, or I know the organization, or I know the culture, I know the mission of the business, and this individual aligns with that mission. When you hear and see those types of responses, then you know they've got the it. But what's interesting is if we even go all the way back to your Google, Google has a completely different process for hiring and interviewing. There's a very set structure to it. So the it factor that we're talking about doesn't actually apply at Google. I can say that I had a good interview with somebody, but it still has to align with the established criteria that Google has as part of their interviewing process. This, again, is another example of how you can replicate something that Google is doing in your own organization to improve your hiring practice, but most people won't because of how they have their current hiring practices structured. So tell me, what is it about the way that they were interviewing people for leadership roles at Google that did not allow for an it factor to be even noticeable? That's interesting. Yeah, so Google has a process by which there's four primary interviews. And okay. those four interviews have four different themes to them. Before you go on to those themes, let me just make sure I'm understanding. These are four major interviews and these are strictly for leadership kinds of roles or these are for, for everyone. any role? Every anyone. role. So any whether role. you're an entry level data entry, mailroom intern kind of a thing or senior executive, C-suite, everybody's going to go through these four levels of interviews. That's correct. Okay. So, and the four themes are? And the four themes are your cognitive skills, your technical skills, 
theoretical skills. And then this fourth one is called Googliness. <laughs> and Googliness is all based on the culture of the organization. Mm. In fact, they place so much effort and emphasis on the culture of the organization that you could pass all three of the other themes, interviews, all three, the cognitive, the theoretical, the technical, and fail the Googliness and not get hired. So it's not just a matter of three out of four. It's a matter of you have to be the right fit. It doesn't necessarily matter what your technical skills are because we can teach you and train you in certain technical areas. It's about making sure that the people who are coming in are the right fit for the organization. And that's a critical piece of it. Now, what would you say to someone who goes, I don't know, that sounds an awful lot like Group think, Stepford Wives, you know, we only want people who are like us. They have to fit in, be one of us, one of us, one of us in the googly stickiness. So how do you respond to that? I would say good. <laughs> okay. Why? <laughs> Love it. Just as we said earlier, most organizations out there that are riddled with toxic cultures, it's because they can't weed out these types of individuals, mm. right? So when we say, look, Stepford Wise, that's fine. We can talk about that. It's not necessarily about making sure everybody thinks alike. It's to make sure that the personalities, the ability to offer psychological safety, the mm. encouragement to participate in an open communication type of framework, the understanding that everyone has a unique perspective and to give a platform for everyone. It's the difference between simply saying, I, I, I versus you, you, you. Yeah. The teamwork mentality is what is important. It's also the passion. Think about a mission statement. Organizations have missions and a lot of people will come in and go to work at those organizations that are nowhere near aligned with what the actual mission of the business is. So if you have your own perspective of what the business should be, or you're not aligned with the values of the organization, or you have your own biased opinions about what that organization should do, or if you even believe that you understand what the customer wants and your ego gets in the way, these are the things that you're trying to push out. And so the Googliness factor is to try to see, are people a team player? Are they a go-getter? Are they willing to sacrifice themselves for the benefit of the others. Yes. That's so, what it's about. As opposed to, we have to get a whole bunch of people who think alike. Well, yeah, that's not the right approach. It's, we want to get a whole bunch of people who embrace the ideals of the organization. I think that's so important. And I'm glad we went down this hole because the key is not in the terms, it's in the operationalization or in the definition of the term. So when you think about your company culture, of course, Google has a great name that you can verbify and do all sorts of other things with. You can adjectivify, if I can coin a new word, how googly is your mindset or your approach, your philosophy, et cetera. In other words, if I'm hiring someone to come and work with me. It's not that do they think like I do. It's about what do I value most? What's most important? Is this someone who is going to be open to constructive feedback? Is this somebody who's going to be kind of creative and wanting to offer ideas during discussions? Is this somebody who's going to be, if my core values of my company are A, B, and C, do they appear, can they share evidence 
not just claim, yes, I believe A, B, and C, but do they have stories? Can they share evidence of demonstrating qualities A, B, and C so that it seems like there will be good, productive, healthy conversations and contributions and satisfaction among all? Not that, yes, you fit into our box very well. Like that, that's in some ways a very fine line of demarcation and in some ways a massive chasm between the two. So use whichever metaphor you like. But am I interpreting this right, Chris? Oh, absolutely. Amazing. Oh my gosh. There's so many other questions that I would love to ask you, Chris, but unfortunately we are out of time. How can people learn more about you and CH Digital? And of course, if they want to submit their 24-hour challenge video to you. Easiest way to get in touch with me is on my website, chrishood.com, C-H-R-I-S-H-O-O-D.com. On the website, you will find links to my social media profile, how to contact me, my podcast, my book. If you would like to pick up a copy of that, and anything else that you would like to know, reach me there, chrishood.com. Terrific. And we'll share your social media links and websites and whatnot in the show notes. So if you do want to follow Chris and learn more from him, by all means, please check out the show notes and go from there. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you for sharing all of your experiences with us today. Appreciate it. And to everybody else, as always, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, your platform of choice so that we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.